Are you ever ashamed of the gospel? I wonder if it's something that happens more than we might actually like to admit. Uh, I know for myself that can be the case. Why? Why might we sometimes be ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus? Maybe it's because we look around us and we see people who are happy and comfortable and we think, well, they're doing well in life. They've got everything they might need. What, you know, what, what's the point in me telling them the gospel? Maybe it's because people find it offensive. And you think, well, who am I? Who am I to tell them how to live or what to believe? I don't want to get people's backs up. I don't want to you know, annoy people. I'll, I'll just let them live their lives. Maybe linked to that, there's a kind of fear sometimes, isn't there, of what people will say, how people will respond. We think, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to risk my job or my family and, and that sort of thing. I'm, I'll just keep quiet. It's hard, isn't it? It's easy sometimes to shrink back from telling the gospel because sometimes, maybe even unconsciously, there's shame connected to the message. Well, we, in the, the last few weeks, we've been working through our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement as a church is making disciples as disciples, uh, loving God, loving each other, and loving everyone else. And then we do that by worshiping God uh, as family, telling the gospel and doing good. And today we reach that, that, that critical point, telling the gospel. Why is that so important? Why does that need to be part of our DNA as a church? Why, like Paul does in Romans 1.16, why do we have to have this attitude where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. He really was not ashamed of it. And we're going to think about why that was today. And we're going to think about some reasons about why that should encourage us too. Uh, and we're going to think three points today. Uh, Uh, for not being ashamed of the gospel. There is space to write headings if you want to do that. I didn't realise the projector was fixed, so that's why there's no PowerPoint today. Uh, But uh, yeah, it'd be good to to be focusing on these things. Uh, We're going to be looking at Ephesians first, if you want to have your Bibles open there. Uh, My first heading, this is, it's a hard one to start. And it's this, grasping the reality of spiritual death. Grasping the reality of spiritual death. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, before we can understand uh, why telling the gospel is so important, we've got to start by realising and accepting that actually without Christ, the situation is, is desperate. It is desperate. You see, you see the language used here. He talks about before you knew Christ, see how you used to live. You, used to, you lived to gratify the cravings of your flesh, your sinful desires, basically. You would do basically whatever you wanted. You didn't follow God's. Instead, we were following the ways of this world, it says. We were deceived by Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We were sinners who had rejected God, rejected his ways, rejected his will for our life. And all of that means, as it says in verse 1, we were dead. We were dead in your transgressions and sins. There was no life in us. That's true, isn't it? I I was going to bring along a chicken bone today, and then I put it in the food waste instead of remembering to keep it. But there's something about a bone, isn't it? It, it, It's a sign, isn't it, that the chicken is definitely dead. 
right? You can't say to the bone, up you get, come on, keep moving, come on, you can, you can do it. It's helpless, it can't do anything, it, it's dead. It's got no power. It's got no way to help itself. And that is exactly the same as, as Paul's point here. The same with spiritual death. Because of our sin, we are dead. It means we could not help ourselves. There was no way for us to somehow recreate a relationship with God. We were dead people that could do nothing. And we get to the end of verse 3, and it says, in fact, we were deserving of God's wrath. It says, because we have all turned away from God, we've all turned our own way. We thought we knew better. We refused to live for him. We deserve his anger. We deserve his judgment. We deserve his wrath. Now, this is always hard to preach on, because instinctively, I think we struggle with the idea of God being angry, don't we? It feels wrong somehow. And I think it feels wrong, if we're honest, because we are sinful, and we have sinful hearts, and we, don't, we basically we don't want to get in trouble for our sin. And so we say, well, that's not right, is it? That's not, that's not why God is, is there. I don't deserve God's anger. I mean, look at all the good things that I've done. The Bible is very clear on this. What it says there, and it says in Romans, there is no one righteous. Not one. Everyone has turned away from God. Everyone rightly deserves God's wrath. Or maybe you're just visiting today and you're listening to this thinking, well, how dare he, how dare he say these things? I've only been here five minutes into the sermon. He's already talking about God's wrath. How dare he challenge my life, my decisions? I certainly don't feel spiritually dead. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Remember, I'm, I'm trying to open up God's word. This is, this is a message from God. This is what it says in his words. This is God telling us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Do we ever, how can we have a response to that? He's the one who created everything. He's the Lord of all. What can we possibly say in defense when we consider his power, his holiness, his perfection? We have nothing. We would end up on our knees in front of him. Well, however this makes us feel, this idea, do you see that before we really get the real pressing need of the gospel, the good news, we've got to sit for a minute and just feel the, the awfulness of this reality without Jesus. This idea of spiritual death, of God's wrath, this, this helplessness, this hopelessness. I wonder if that's something you've felt, that you've really felt the need of those without Jesus. I remember in London once, just walking down Regent Street, I think it was, and grieving in my heart because there were crowds of people and I just, you had this, I had this sort of moment of realisation that, that they were lost, they were dead. They were walking around, yes, but they were spiritually dead. I felt something similar at the Kenilworth Street Party. It was a lovely occasion, wasn't it? There was huge crowds, there was lots of laughter, lots of fun at being together, there was a real buzz to be back together as a town. But I walked through the crowd at one point and I just realised how many of these people were dead, without hope, helpless, in desperate need of the good news. And they don't even realise it. They're not even thinking about it. Is that something you've done? Do you grieve at this reality? When you go to work, when you go into the office or wherever, wherever you work, and you look around at your co-workers, do you think, these people are dead? Maybe in our neighbourhoods. There's been lots of buzz in our back gardens. We've been hearing laughing children, barbecues happening, all this sort of thing. Do we, are we convicted these people are dead? And 
Surely our hearts break, don't they, when we consider our own families. Fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, wider family, even our children are dead. It's, it's awful. The pain should overwhelm us. And we've got to feel it. I think we've got to feel like this. It's right for us to feel like this because we've got to realise this reality. If we just ignore it, if we think that's too horrible to consider, we maybe don't see the urgency of it. There's so many around us are spiritually dead, without hope. What can we possibly do? What can we possibly do? Well, that's my second point. The incredible good news. The incredible good news. Uh, Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. Here we go. Now we see why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that actually brings salvation, that saves people. I've, I've, I've tried to show you everyone. We were, if we're believers, we were in desperate need of being saved. The world around us needs saving. And here it is. Here's the good news. Here's that, that it's possible. That God has made it possible. It's the same for Jews and Gentiles. That's mean it's the same for everyone. The gospel, the good news, is for everyone. There is only one person with the power to raise the dead. And that is God. And we have this wonderful good news, the gospel, that we were spiritually dead, but there is a way to be made alive. Isn't that glorious news? And we see how back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Start verse 1, you were dead. Verse 3, but because of his great love for us, we're no longer helpless. We're no longer hopeless because God is the one who makes us alive. Do you see that? It's not like somehow we've done it ourselves. Even our faith is a gift from him. He's the one who gives life. He is the one who has made us alive. He brings the dead to life. Maybe uh, you know that old chorus. We used to sing this on camp, that chorus there. Dem bones, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones that hear the word of the Lord. If you don't know it, but basically it's, it's, a, it's talking about Ezekiel 37. It's a vision. Uh, and Ezekiel sees this valley full of dry bones. And, you know, I'm talking about chicken bones. Imagine a whole valley full of dry bones, completely dusty, completely helpless, no life at all. And in the vision, they hear the word of the Lord and they come together and they become bodies and they hear the word of the Lord and life is breathed into them and they, they rise to life from death. It's a wonderful picture of God restoring his people. And actually it's a picture for us of, of what God does for those of us who believe. We move from death to life. It's a staggering thought. Especially because you've got to wonder why, haven't you? Why? What have we possibly done to deserve this? It's incredible news. That's the point. We haven't done anything. Verse 4 of Ephesians. Because of his great love for us. Because he is rich in mercy. We've got to remember, we've got to see always, the gospel is a gospel of grace. That means it's a, it's a free gift. It's an undeserved love and kindness given by God to us. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. It's given to us. I think I grasp this more now that I'm a parent. Now, I often think of the, the love and care that's been shown to me by my parents. Uh, the sacrifice that they've shown me, the generosity they've shown me over many years. And I look at this huge debt 
that I owe to them. I think, how can I possibly pay that back? It's impossible. I could never do enough to say thank you for that. And then I realise maybe now that I'm a, now as a parent, I realise that's not really what it's about. They did that because they love me. And it's similar with my own children. I care for them because I love them. I don't expect to be paid back by them for every nappy change, for every, you know, every tantrum that I've split apart and all those things. That's not how it works. And that's, exa- that's a small picture, perhaps, of what it means to have a, a relationship with God. We have this huge debt to God, this huge, how he's shown us love and forgiveness. We think we cannot repay it. But that's the point. God has poured his love out for us. We accept him. We trust him. We worship him in response. We say thank you. It's a staggering thought, isn't it? That this is, this is how it works. This is the good news that we have. But how? How can it possibly work like this? Maybe we're thinking that. How can this holy, perfect God forgive sinners like us and still be holy? It doesn't seem fair, does it? How can we be brought to life from our spiritual death? We go back to Ephesians 2 verse 5. It says, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He made us alive with Christ. That is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the cross. His death and resurrection, Jesus, laying down his life. Think about it. He was the only one who ever lived who wasn't spiritually dead. He, was, he lived a perfect life. He was sinless, obedient, always loving others, always loving his father, never sinning. And he's the one who willingly laid down his life for me, for you. He died, he laid down his life so that we don't have to die, so that we gain life. That's the staggering thought, isn't it? That that God's justice, God's wrath was poured out onto Jesus rather than onto us. So you see, Paul is, is not ashamed of the gospel. He knows it's his only hope. It's the only thing that has given him life. And that's staggering, isn't it? Because you look at all that Paul does after he becomes a Christian. He travels the world. He plants churches. He tells the gospel over and over again. But he's not boasting in those things. He's saying, no, actually, the only thing I boast in is the gospel. What Jesus has done for me. Jesus gave up his life to give me life. Paul was not ashamed because he had this message that had the power to bring life transformation and just think about that think about the places he saw that work you go through the book of Acts you see some of the the cities that he visited that were filled with idolatry filled with evil practices and he goes and he just preaches the good news and people are changed and transformed he says he knows the gospel is the power of God to save he has seen it in lots of other people's lives he's seen it in his own life and we see that same power in work in us today Staggering. We've seen the reality of spiritual death. We've seen the incredible good news that we can have life through Jesus. That is the gospel. It's good news. So my third point is a question. Will we share the good news? Will we tell the gospel? Romans 10 verse 13, a bit later on in the book, says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message. We want to cry out to people. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes on to say, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? 
How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, my friend James spoke on 2 Corinthians 5 uh, and reminded us that we are God's ambassadors. We are God's representatives. We're the ones who have this message, the privilege of sharing the gospel. And that's the challenge here in Romans 10. Think, how will the spiritually dead hear anything unless we go and tell them? We've got, to, we've got to see that. That God calls us, gives us a mission to go and tell others about him. So if I take you back to the start, why might we be ashamed of the gospel? Why might we be tempted to leave people to it and not do all we can? Think, well, actually, how can we possibly do that when we know Jesus, when we know the life that he has given us? I think we've got to remember, haven't we, that we ourselves were dead. And we are only alive thanks to Christ. We're in, we're in the same boat as everyone else. If we haven't really understood that, if we haven't really understood how much we, we need saving too, I think we'll be reluctant to share the good news, to share the gospel. Because in some sense we think, well, maybe actually I don't really need God's love and God's grace. I'm, there's something in me, you know, I, I'm, I, can, I can maybe do it on my own. If I don't need bringing to life, then why should I tell the gospel to other people? That's not the case. We were dead, and God brought us to life. Go back to that picture of those around you, those at work, those in, in the town, your neighbours, your family, that are spiritually dead. That was us. That was us once, if we're believers today. And now we're alive. Shouldn't we want to, to help them, to do anything we can to save them? We have the, the power of God. We go in his power. We go with good news. We should not be ashamed of that. And if you're not a Christian here today, my, my prayer is that you would hear God's word and see what good news it is. That there, there's nothing else that can bring you from death to life. I, just, I, I, I plead with you not to ignore this good news. To look into it, to, to, to seek out Jesus and his life. Come and talk to me, talk to, to a friend, ask the questions. Don't reject him. It's very easy for me to stand up here on a Sunday and go, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's not so easy, is it, when we find ourselves facing a hostile co-worker or an antagonistic neighbour that's laughing at us or, or whatever. What do we do? How do we, how do we find that, that courage, that boldness? Well, we encourage each other as a church family. We, we pray for each other. We pray for courage from God, that, that he would help us to trust him when that moment comes when we have to step out, there's a kind of pain line, isn't there? You've got to step across to, to, to actually say, oh, actually, this is what I believe. You've got to pray that God would give you that, the power in that moment, the, the confidence, not in yourself, but in him. And of course, that we would trust his grace for when we don't get it right. When we mess up, when we fail, when we don't take the opportunity we were given. It's a message from God. It's good news. It's not about us, it's not about our skills, it's not about our wisdom. We're saved by grace. We are ambassadors of grace. And that's why we need to tell the gospel. That's why this is such good news. Do you see? Do you see why telling the gospel is such a critical part of our vision as a church? It's got to be there. It's got to be there in our DNA because everyone needs to hear it. We need to know it ourselves. We want to encourage each other to, to know it more deeply to have that wonderful, secure position of 
knowing you're God's child. And then from that we go. We go and tell the good news to those around us. We go and make disciples. We go and share what it means to know Jesus. So practically, what, maybe what does that look like for us? There's two kind of quick applications. And it's all about being his ambassador. First of all, we're his ambassadors as a church family together. We are a church family. If it's there in our DNA, it should be there in really everything we try and do as a church. I think it's there when we share the gospel together in our home groups. And we teach the gospel in our youth and children's activities. We've run a few events, haven't we? Uh, Just kind of making ourselves known in the town. But as the months and the years go, we've got to grow in this. We've got to grow in our commitment to sharing the gospel together. The world around us is changing. And that means we're going to have to think carefully about how we best do that. What's the best way to engage people, to, to help them see the good news? There's potential for courses, meeting other people, reading the Bible with others, running different activities, building on the things we're already doing, just being there in the town. But surely it's something we, we need it on our hearts, we need it on our minds, that the good news brings life, brings hope. So if you've got ideas, you think, you know what, this is, I'd love to share the gospel in this way, or that way as a church. Come and talk to, to us. Let, let me know. What ideas have you got? How can we encourage? How can we equip How can we support you? We'll be thinking, we we want to pray about that together. We're his ambassadors as a church, but we are also his ambassadors as individuals. And this is really important too. Because like I said, there's a pattern in our culture today, isn't there? That the world is, is moving away from engaging with church, understanding the gospel. In the past, you might have been able to have a conversation with someone and, and you would have shared some basics in, in worldview. Things like some sense that there was a higher power even. A sense that there is something that you could class as truth. That maybe some understanding of what sin means and and an afterlife. Even basic building blocks that you can then explain the truth into. But now people are saying, well, they're rejecting even these basic categories. Thinking religion is, is nothing they want to have anything to do with. Which means we're sort of, people are further back in terms of how we can share the gospel. They maybe haven't got the same framework as we, as we had. So that means that maybe what's been typical in the past, those kind of invitation events, you know, come to this, hear the gospel, come to a course, they're actually becoming less effective as, we've, as, as the years go on because people are further away from just being willing to come and, and hear these things. Uh, if you know Tim Keller, he's a well-known pastor in America, He says this, if it's true that more and more people lack any religious foundation and that the dominant cultural narratives are making the Christian faith more offensive, then we must find new and compelling ways to share the gospel in this generation. They're far away. If they're not interested, how do we compel them? How do we show them the good news that we have understood and grasped for ourselves? I think one of the compelling ways we do that is by each one of us doing that in our everyday lives. We are effective ambassadors as individuals. I heard a statistic, uh, someone who researched the early church estimated that 80% of evangelism in the early church, you know, when it was first happening, was not done by the evangelists and the people, you know, the, the apostles that you read about. 80% was done by just 
normal, ordinary Christians explaining themselves to their relatives, their friends, their co-workers, and, and, and living out the gospel, showing what it means, telling them the good news. 80%. That is staggering, isn't it? And that's challenging maybe for us to see people, people paid attention to the gospel because someone they knew well, someone they worked with, someone that they loved, someone, that, someone they could trust, actually talked to them about it. That's the thing that made them sit up. That's the thing that made them pay attention. So I wonder how that makes you feel. It's up to all of us to share the gospel. It's not just down to me, not just down to the elders or a few keen folk. All of us. And that's why at the start of the year in our home groups we, we use some material to just get us thinking about this. Thinking about what it means to share the gospel with those around us. And it's right there. It's part of our vision is to do that as a church. To tell the gospel. To equip each other, to encourage each other to go out talk to our neighbours, to talk to our co-workers, our friends at school, to talk about Jesus, to show what it means to, 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 to believe in him. And if, you, if that just sounds like you'd never be able to do that, then take courage, because God uses ordinary people every day, like you and me. If you need, if you're not sure, if you need encouragement, we want to be praying for you, praying for each other, encouraging each other to step out in boldness. Preparing this was definitely a wake-up call for myself. It's easy to move into a new town and just kind of get into routines and not think, how am I telling the gospel? Maybe it has been for you too. We need to pray, don't we, that we would not forget that centrality, that the vital importance that we should tell the gospel. Uh, the life that we have, the hope that is found in Jesus alone. We don't want to be ashamed to tell others. Um, just to encourage you as I close, I want to just share a few stories from... Some Christian unions. Uh, this is a magazine from the UCCF, uh, and in each episode, in each uh, edition, sorry, they share some stories of encouragement, stories of sharing the gospel. And I just want to share a few because it's encouraging to realise that it, it works. God is at work. Listen to this. This is this is in London. Uh, Jack grew up in, a, in an atheist household, but began investigating Christianity when he became friends with a CU member. After asking lots of questions and visiting a local church. He decided that Christianity was true. Since then, he's grown in confidence. At first, he didn't want to tell anyone about his faith. Now he hands out flyers for CU events on campus. He's due to be baptised at a local church next time. See? Meets a Christian friend. Shares the gospel. Life changed. There's another one. Um, in Birmingham, very close by. During our final uncover session for the Christmas break, that's a kind of reading the Bible one-to-one thing. My friend gave his life to Jesus. We were talking about how we can't earn a single thing by our efforts, but simply have to accept the gift of grace, because Jesus has done it all already. He then spoke of how he'd been reading his Bible, but felt there was something missing, a relationship. So he asked Jesus to come into his life and be his Lord. It was so beautiful to see him pray when he previously talked of struggling. Jesus is awesome, the initiator and perfecter of our faith. It's great, isn't it? To see stories like that, it's encouraging. God is at work in students at universities around the country. And you know what? That means God can work here in Kenilworth as well. It doesn't mean it's straightforward. It can take time. Again, the research suggests that it probably takes at least two years. At least two years from, say, a first meaningful conversation with someone before they might consider turning to Christ. 
It takes time. We need to invest in relationships, in conversations. We need to pray and pray for people. Keep sharing the good news with patience. We need to invest. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. People turn to Christ. So I hope that's encouraging. We were dead. God has made us alive. Hold out that good news to others. Let's tell the gospel as a church. When I pray, that that's what we'd be known for. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for saving us. <laughs> we do not deserve your love and your mercy and you pour it out on us. Lord, help us not take it for granted and certainly let's not keep it to ourselves. Please help us share the good news. Help us feel the need that other people have to know you and give us confidence and boldness to proclaim your wonders and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.